Okay, mic check, one, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. Okay, so if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Crazy, 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 crazy. Wait, what? Great parade. Give me round to my band, sexual chocolate. Please. What? One game, one-on-one. For what? Your heart. It was like his dip just talked to me. Baby, please. Please. Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. Yo, you got the juice now, man. What's up, everybody? Oh, it's so good to be back. It's so good to be back. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. Oh, I'm so excited to be back. I took a little bit of a longer break than I intended because I got very busy. October kicked my ass, y'all. October really almost took me out the game a couple times. And at the same time, it was wonderful. It was great. I learned a lot made a lot of moves, I think just got more confident in my abilities, which is a good recurring theme these days. The Adventures in Black Cinema screening was so much fun, y'all. If you were not there last time, you must come out next time. And the time after that and the time after that, it was so much fun. Everybody who comes to a screening gets a passport, a real passport. Um, it's like a, <laughs> it's a fake passport, but it's a real passport book. It's like an actual physical thing. And I stamped them with a really, really, really dope, really dope stamp that everybody really loved. And I'm going to do that for each show. Give everyone a stamp on their passport to black film with a dope stamp that corresponds to the adventure that we're taking that day. So the first screening was Tales from the Hood, and you have to wait to the end of the episode to hear what the next screening is going to be, children. But it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, October was a lot. I was very busy. I was tired, and I also like moving around a lot, I've realized. So I have to find a way to have a way to do that while also being balanced, which I think I started to find near the end, which was great. And I also helped run screenings of Newfest at uh, Nighthawk, which is where I work. And Newfest is the festival that I used to program for which you may remember from previous episodes and how I've met a lot of the guests that I've had on the show so far. So that was really wonderful. A nice, beautiful marriage of two worlds that I think worked really well. So I was very happy about that. But there was also some spooky season stuff happening 
And talking about this film, I wanted to talk about it during spooky season, but I think it's a very good post-spooky season film, actually. It is a Southern Gothic and has a lot to do with magic and mysticism and also just like real shit in life that's very scary. But I also think that the magic represented in this film feels very real and doesn't necessarily have to be separated from the real scary things that happen. So, greetings from Ease Bayou, Louisiana. Today's adventure is in childhood and curses, and we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of the film, Eve's Bayou. But first, a little trust and believe. So, this week's Trust and Believe, a segment in which I give you the lowdown on some dope, independent, or foreign, sometimes both, black films that I think that you should know about. This week, we're going to be talking about The Inheritance, which is a film directed by Ephraim Asili and was released in 2020. Great. Okay, now everybody's here. Can we please get started? Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Shoes are off. Can we get started? Yeah, yes. We're all here. And this little hidden gem, this trust and believe, is an incredibly interesting story about a group of young black folks who create a black socialist community in the house of one of their friend's grandmothers, when he inherits this house after she dies. It's a really cool mix of documentary and narrative style because there is a story going on with people who are actually part of a Black socialist community in Philadelphia, young folks. They aren't playing themselves, but it feels like they're playing versions of themselves. And you watch them as they put together this Black socialist community. And you also see bits of documentary in that there is archival footage. There are interviews with the actual people who are part of this young socialist community in Philly. And there are also moments in the narrative where they have people talking from an organization specifically called MOVE, which was founded by John Africa. You see them talking to the group within the narrative piece, but those are real people saying real things about their lives. That also kind of feels documentary. And there's some ways in which the filmmaker shows visually whether we're in documentary or we're in narrative by having the narrative be extremely colorful, very great production design, very kind of neon in the production design a lot, a lot of bright colors. It's very, very cool. It's very striking. And then in the interviews with the actual members of the community who are actors in the film as well, those are in black and white. And then the archival footage is obviously archival footage. So it's very, very obvious when that's happening. And I think this film has such a unique look to it as well. I mean, it's shot on 16 millimeter film, so it looks gorgeous. And like I said, the color schemes are like truly beyond. 
And I also found this film to be incredibly informative. You know, for someone who knows a lot about Black history and African history, learning more about Black socialist movements was almost like mind-blowing in a way. Um, There are so many things within these movements and communities that I knew about in a way, but didn't know so much about in depth. And I also did not know about the police bombing on the MOVE headquarters, which of course is not a surprising event in and of itself, but it was a surprising thing that I'd never heard about, I guess because, you know, they're never really teaching about black socialist movements in schools, but they should. I mean, it's really... Really, really dope shit, honestly. I also saw a speech by Shirley Chisholm in here that I loved and had never seen. I have always been a catalyst for change. It was incredible and just really complimented a lot of things that I've been learning about her recently and how incredible she was. And it feels like something new with a distinct kind of old influence without the film. And I always love shit like that. I always love shit that throws it back and kicks it back to older things because I think that shows a lot of respect for your craft and about what preceded you. And I think that's really, really dope. And that's something that I always like to consider in my work as well, kind of no matter what I do. And this also is material that shows how this younger generation is moving forward in movements like this. And I think that is sometimes something that people doubt is actually happening, but it is truly happening. And you can see that so clearly in this film. And at the end of the day, I did like the doc parts of it better than the narrative parts of it. And this film is definitely still worth checking out despite that. It feels very unique, very fresh, and I'm very excited to see what this filmmaker does next. And of course, of course, this was big at Blackstar, which is a recurring theme on the show, as we had Maori as a guest on one of the episodes, The Judas and the Black Messiah, which you know connects perfectly to us talking about Black socialist movement. So I can see this film being totally up her alley, and I'd love to talk to her about it someday. And this film is now available to stream on the Criterion channel, so check it out. It's really, really cool. So after this commercial break, we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of Eve's Bayou. See you there. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of Eve's Bayou. So Eve's Bayou was released in 1997. It was directed by Casey Lemons, who was Bernadette in the 1992 Candyman. So look at that connection there. Little summary of the film, if you haven't seen it. We see one summer in 1960s Louisiana through the eyes of 10-year-old Eve, played by Journey Smollett. 
She is part of an affluent family and a well-to-do Creole American community where her father, played by Samuel L. Jackson, who appears on the screen with a up-to-no-good, just vibe, demeanor that really, really hit me the second time around watching this film. And he is the town doctor. Also in Eve's family are her mother, played to perfection by Lynn Whitfield, who is a very underrated actress. Eve's 14-year-old sister, Cicely, is also in the picture. And Cicely is played by Megan Good. This is some of Megan Good's finest work. She is perfect in this movie. So is Journey. The performances all around are just incredible. Eve's younger brother is also with them, and the best character in this movie, Eve's Aunt Moselle, who is her father's sister. And Aunt Moselle is played by Debbie Morgan, another underrated fucking actress who is incredible in this movie. And Aunt Moselle is a psychic counselor. And she's really good at it. Incredible character. Just, oh my God. I just get the chills and my heart aches thinking about this character and this performance. She is absolutely incredible. So that's her family. That's Eve's family. And one night at a party, Eve sees her father having sex with another woman in town named Maddie Moreau. And she's played by Lisa Nicole Carson. And this event opens Eve's eyes up to many things she did not know about her father. Yep, many things. This film also stars Diane Carroll as a town psychic that is seen by Aunt Moselle as more of a gimmick, like a, like a fucking carnival psychic, you know? And Diane Carroll is also excellent in this. She gives you that stereotypical psychic behavior. She's just (laughs) comes off as like so mean and creepy and stuff. And then, yeah, psychics are always like mean in movies. They're just like, what do you want? Sit down. Give me your hands. They're just very, uh, very rude with it. But she is also an amazing psychic. Her scenes in this movie are very impactful. Seeing it another time, and when she gives Eve's mother her reading, oh my God, you get the chills. And Aunt Moselle's reading is interesting because based on what else she does in this movie, everything else she does comes true. So... Her reading for Aunt Moselle is heartbreaking, and at the same time, it feels very real. And I wonder if after the events of the movie, it came true. It seems like it probably did. There's also Roger Gunnar Smith in this movie, who is a recurring, recurring theme in black film. Him and Giancarlo Esposito have a hold on black film. And you know what I have to say? I'm very disappointed that thus far, since we've been back since the summer, there have not been a lot of niggas from The Wire in these movies. Or people from... A different world. Uh, I'm sure Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll was on a different world. So yeah, fuck that. Yeah, she played Whitley's mom. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah. 
We back. We did not forget about that recurring theme in the show either. But Roger's goodness. He's always really great. He always does his job. And little Jake Smollett playing the little brother in this because he's Journey's actual little brother. So it's really, really, really cute. They both have this red hair. That's really cool. So some fun facts about this movie. This film won two Independent Spirit Awards because they be knowing they are, they're really great. They tend to get it way more than many institutions do. So the two awards at this one were Best First Feature for Casey Lemons. This was her debut fucking feature and it's perfect. Like, damn. And then also the other for Best Supporting Actress, which went to Debbie Morgan. Again, very well-deserved. They know what the fuck they're doing. Fun fact number two, according to Casey Lemons, her cut was very different from the final theatrical cut, which apparently cut an entire major character from the film. I want to know who this major character was, what their function was, where this footage is. Can I see it? Can I have it? No, no, come on, can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I... Can I? Can I have it? Can I have it? No, no. Can I have it? And this cut being so perfect, I really wonder what Casey's cut was gonna be like. Third fun fact, Deborah Cox's music video for Nobody's Supposed to Be Here was shot on this film's main property, which I think is an incredible fun fact. fun fact nobody's supposed to be here was a jam and still is a fucking jam to this day so this makes me happy this makes me happy to hear so let's get into these themes of childhood and curses so this episode could have honestly been called a lot of things There were moments where I was going to call it something with memories, something with magic, because both of those are very big themes in this film. I was also thinking of something with mirrors, too, because mirrors are a very big thing for Aunt Moselle, as well as Eve, and pretty much everybody, actually. Mirrors, reflections, all kinds of things like that. And there's also this kind of theme of mysticism, right? So I think I ended up going with childhood and curses because those are things that are very much connected to the memories in this film as well as the magic in this film. And I also just thought it sounded better. And also in terms of what we're dealing with in this film, that's really what it is. The magic is dark and still through a spirit. I think it's really important that 
Aunt Moselle, before she does her psychic consulting or counseling, that she does give it up to God. She gives up to Jesus real quick, you know? I think a lot of times when we are talking about things like seeing into the future or doing anything that seems like out of this realm, that it's a dark realm, but what if it's a higher realm? Like, you ever think about that before you started banning Harry Potter and going crazy about fucking Harry Potter and shit? Y'all be wildin' sometimes, but um, it is just a true thing that if there is black magic, then there's also white magic. I don't think it has to be described in those terms and such binaries, but I think they can exist in the world together. So in terms of talking about childhood, man, this is rough. I mean... Seeing this film a second time and seeing the subtleties, the kind of building blocks and kind of bits of storytelling crumbs that Casey Lemons lays down for you in this film are quite extraordinary. It's very much if you know, you know. And the great thing about this is because when you're watching this the first time, you don't know. You could pick up on it eventually if you know the signs. And the quote-unquote twist is not really a twist. It's not really a reveal even. It's a consequence of the things that are happening in the story and with these relationships. When you're seeing it the first time and not knowing, that's intentional because a lot of times these things happen to people and you don't know. You don't necessarily know what to look for. You don't know what the signs are. When you see this a second time, it's almost so obvious to you. Um, Yeah, great storyteller. Great, great storyteller. You can really start to see kind of what's happening between Samuel L. Jackson's character and Cicely, who is his 14-year-old daughter. You can kind of start to see... All of these things kind of unfold about him and the way he treats the women in his life and how incredible the women are in his life and how resilient they are and how incredible they are on so many levels. I mean, his wife is just like a really wonderful person. And when she's going through it and having her anxieties, they feel real. I mean, they're all this shit kind of boiling up and so much of it in regard to him, you know, I have been incredibly anxious in relationships and she has every single right to be. I mean, her husband's a fucking piece of shit and she's really starting to realize that and have to come to terms with that. And his sister does too. I mean, the whole family does. It's it's really quite a reckoning. And the way that this film deals with childhood sexual abuse, because that is a very huge thing that is going on here between Samuel L. Jackson's character and his daughter, Cicely, the way that it's represented here is quite incredible and quite nuanced and grounded and real. I think that the way that all of these things are represented through Eve's memories as a 10-year-old also feels incredibly, incredibly real. The way that early on in the film, you can see there's this 
strange relationship between the father and daughter in this film. And at first, that is read by Eve's character as kind of like a favoritism. She asks him, you know, why didn't you dance with me at the party? And you can tell that this is a feeling that she kind of has around the relationship, that she's kind of being left out. And you can definitely see that. And of course, that evolves into something else as we find out what's really happening, what's really going on. And of course, what's really going on is that Sicily is the survivor of molestation, that her father molests her. And yeah, I mean, the way that it's also dealt from Sicily's perspective is also, oh my God, it's so heartbreaking and gut-wrenching and so real. I mean, I have so many friends who have been through this and have shared their experiences and many people who I know have been through this but haven't necessarily been able to share that with anyone or not many people yet, which, I mean, it's definitely a process. And and there's also a letter at the end that Samuel L. Jackson's character has written to his sister because his sister obviously knows that this happened, that this event happened near the end of the film. And... So Samuel Jackson writes a letter to her basically saying that, you know, basically blaming Cicely, basically blaming his 14-year-old daughter for the situation. And you just know by the way he's written the letter and you also just know by the way that he has acted and this whole fucking movie this whole, whole time with his daughter and then with other women in town. I mean, I do really wonder why everyone in this town is so thirsty for Samuel L. Jackson, or as we call him in the black community, Samuel Jackson. I really couldn't tell you, but everyone's thirsty after him. And the way that he writes this letter is just like, oh my God, oh my God, it's like... It's terrible. And of course, because Eve is a child and she wants to believe in her authority figures, she does accuse Cicely of lying at the end. And Cicely is someone who has lied to her sister before. We have seen her lie to her sister before. And we've also seen this reaction in real life, of course. Something like this happens and the perpetrator is someone that you don't want to believe is the perpetrator. And Eve is also upset because she's found this after her father has died and after she has gone to the Diane Carroll psychic to ask for her father to be killed and it happens. So her not believing her sister in this moment and seeing Megan Good's reaction to that is 
just also incredibly heartbreaking. And to also see Eve having her own psychic abilities and asking her sister to put her hands on her hands so she can read her. And what Eve sees is so incredibly awful. And the film ends with her walking hand in hand with her sister and comforting her. Um, And it's worth noting that when Cicely does lie to Eve, she lies to her to protect her from having seen her father having sex with this other woman and that being a traumatizing thing in and of itself. So she does that to protect her sister. And then she does confirm at the end when Eve thinks she's lying that she did lie to her in that moment, but she saw what she saw and that was actually happening. And when Cicely says that she doesn't know what happened too, is like, it's also so real. It is so, so real in terms of not being able to come to grips with an event like that. I mean, you dissociate. Like, it's it's a really crazy thing. So when she breaks down and she says she doesn't know, you just want to give her a hug. And that comfort between the two sisters is the perfect way to end this movie. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently in terms of how childhood sex abuse is dealt with in films because I did my first Q&A in a year with the team from Cicada this past week, um, the week before I'm recording this. And it was a wonderful conversation. And that film is also about, in large part, childhood sex abuse and dealing with that as an adult from it happening to you as a child. And... Great film, always great talking to that crew. And this time I think it went deeper than it did the two previous times that I Q&A'd them for Newfest because I felt comfortable with them. And I had heard a lot about what they had gone through. The two directors of the film are survivors of childhood sex abuse. And so this is something that's definitely been on my mind recently in the past week. So it's kind of good that I wasn't able to record this episode when I wanted to because this subject has been just marinating in my mind a lot, a lot, a lot. And something else that's been marinating in my mind uh, in terms of the curses in this film is, you know, what is happening? (laughs) What is happening with my love life? As always, I mean, it's been a roller coaster. It continues to be a roller coaster. There are just so many things going on that I can't even really begin to get into, but so many times where I've just felt like, what What the the fuck fuck is happening? happening. And it's so easy in these moments to blame yourself, which is what Aunt Moselle does. So let's talk about Aunt Moselle for a second when we're talking about curses here, because Aunt Moselle is the one who's apparently cursed in this family, because Aunt Moselle has been married three times and all of her husbands have died in really terrible ways. So she feels as if she is cursed. Oh my God. And, you know, can't blame her for feeling that way. That's very, very unfortunate. And then that is something that the Diane Carroll psychic confirms for her. Great scene, like I said before. 
And this whole idea of feeling cursed because of these just tragedies in your love life just feels so real to me. I mean, I have not had any partners, current or firm, former, pass away as of yet. And at the same time, I felt her so deeply when she was saying that she was cursed. I mean, I don't know what the deal is with these dudes. It's just really been a tough go for me in this life. I'm definitely not giving up or anything, but this guy coming into her life when she's afraid to love again because she's afraid of this curse, she doesn't want anything bad to happen to any other man. This guy coming into her life, played by <laughs> Vondi Curtis Hall, who I can't believe I did not mention when I was talking about the cast, because Vondi Curtis Hall has a very recognizable face. He has this crazy long hair in this movie. He looks fine. He is, like, gorgeous in this movie. And Vondi Curtis Hall, let it be known, is the man who directed Glitter, Glitter. starring Mariah Carey, 2001's Glitter. So just mentioning that. And so Vondi Curtis Hall plays this guy that comes to her house because he wants a psychic reading and she falls instantly and madly in love with him and she feels like she doesn't want to do it because she's cursed. She doesn't want anything bad to happen to him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what he says to her that absolutely broke my fucking heart, broke my heart, everyone. Absolutely broke my heart and I related so much to and honestly needed to hear. He says to her, you're not barren, you're wounded. Basically, you're not hopeless. There's just things that are there that need to be healed, that need to be worked on, worked at, and that you can do that with another person. She is still with him at the end of the film. And like I said, Diane Carroll's readings are always correct in this movie. What she tells Eve's mother about what's going to happen happens. And also when Eve comes to her to get her father killed, it happens. So, I mean, I don't know what happens to this man after the events of this film, but, you know, I don't, I, I really don't know. Hopefully what he said to her made a lot of sense and works and Aunt Moselle does find love because Aunt Moselle is so fucking dope. You know... I, I I hope that her curse has been lifted as she's been called the Black Widow. Um, and there's something interesting and funny, too, that honestly connects these two themes in a really fun and funny way is that there is a point in this movie where Eve just starts walking around and cursing because she's so angry because her mother won't let them kids out of the house because Aunt Moselle has had this premonition. She thinks she sees a child getting hit by a bus and she also sees a guy walking on train tracks. So she perceives this to be as a vision saying that one of the kids, one of her nieces or nephews is in danger going to get hit by this bus. Don't let them out of the house. So when this happens, Eve gets really frustrated after a while and she starts cursing in the house. So that connects 
childhood and curses because when you're a child and you discover cursing and you start cursing and of course everyone gets mad at her and everything like that. And though this film does deal with a lot of heavy subjects, something that is very special about it is how this really does feel like a childhood summer in ways that are dark, of course, and then also ways that are joyous and ways that feel absolutely real, even though I was not raised in this era, being raised in the 90s and kind of having that analog summer, you know, I had TV and shit, but having a mostly analog summer and really remembering the good and the bad of these times, I think is really crucial or really important. And all of these subjects, I think, are really important for us as Black people to talk about and to continue having conversations about. And, you know, in conclusion, this film is perfect, honestly. The first time around when I watched it, I really liked it a lot. And the second time watching it, and again, with a deeper context, uh, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And though the subject matter is difficult, this film honestly does beg to be rewatched. I got so much more out of it from rewatching this film. There's so much more going on than you notice and it's between absolutely everyone in this film. The relationships are so rich as is the writing in general. Casey is an excellent filmmaker that I would love to see work more because I've enjoyed all of her films I've seen thus far. I recommend her film Talk to Me starring Don Cheadle and Chiwetel Ejiofor, and I think Taraji's in that movie too. If you have not seen it, I recommend Talk to Me. It's very good. This film talks about so many subjects in an incredibly interesting way. The costume and production design are amazing, as is the cinematography. I would love to show a print of this film one day. And above all, this film has a message about believing children that I think is really extremely important. It is really, really, really important to believe children when they tell you what's going on with them. Roger Ebert said when he reviewed this film, if this film doesn't get any Oscar nominations, the Academy isn't paying attention. They did not pay attention, and they never will pay attention, but we will continue to pay attention, and this film will always be considered a classic by the people, and we are who matter. So if you have not seen Eve's Bayou, check it out. It's incredible. It is absolutely incredible, and it is now available to stream on HBO Max. So, children, stay tuned after this little ad break and we will get into this week's You Better Act Award. All my life I hate to fight. So, welcome to this week's You Better Act Award, the award that I give out every week on the show to someone who is just absolutely nailing, nailing, nailing the acting game. Someone who's giving us a performance that we can live for, that we can die for, that we can breathe for. Super hot fire. And this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please. Ruth Nega in Passing. 
So Passing is a film directed by the actor Rebecca Hall, and it was released this year, but has a 2020 date on it because it was made last year. I talked about this film on an episode earlier this year when I was discussing black films that were at Sundance, and this film is based on the seminal Nella Larson novel, Passing, which is about a woman played by Tessa Thompson in the film who runs into an old friend and schoolmate, Claire, played by Ruth Nega, who is choosing to live life as a white woman, married to a racist white man, played by Alexander Skarsgård. Pardon me, I don't mean to stare, but I think I know you. Claire? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along. She's a girl from Chicago I used to know. Princess from Chicago. Things aren't always what they seem. Bobby Dan. Lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color. So you haven't ever thought to? What? You ever thought of passing? No, why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. So. I've had the pleasure of meeting and talking and chilling with Ruth in the past. Honestly, right before COVID hit, actually, because she was playing Hamlet in a production, an Irish production of Hamlet at St. Anne's Warehouse, where I worked at the time. And Ruth is really fucking dope. She is an incredible, incredible actor. And I'm so excited to continue to see her get roles like this. She is absolute perfection. I mean, for someone who's so loose and free-spirited as a person as Ruth is, she really nails this kind of put-togetherness in Claire and this um, kind of put-togetherness as a means for survival. And... She also serves up some very fun moments in this film as well. We can also see so much of her struggle to keep up this lie. She finds a way to channel that lightness that she has as a person and have it manifest in a different way for Claire in those moments where we do get some fun moments from her. The film itself is fine. It's fine. There are some things with it that I didn't really love. And it's also 100% worth seeing or watching for Ruth's performance. She deserves an Oscar nomination. But will she get one, huh? Oscar, the ball is in your court. I don't give a fuck if you like the movie or not. The performance is amazing, so give it the love it deserves. So Passing is now in select theaters and will be streaming on Netflix starting on November 10th. So in closing, some food for thought. Who are some other incredible Black woman directors that you think are deserving of more praise, love, and attention? Com- There's a lot of them, by the way. A lot of them. Probably most of them. Comment and follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a rating if you'd like. And follow the podcast on Spotify. Thank you so much, per usual, to the team. Y'all are amazing. I love you all. We have Cindy Edward, our production assistant. We have Matt Mozzarella, our audio engineer. And we have Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. I hope y'all have been checking out season five of Insecure. And 
I have an announcement to make about our next Adventures in Black Cinema screening. Our next Adventures in Black Cinema screening will be Soul Food on 35mm film on Wednesday, November 24th at our Nighthawk Williamsburg location. And that is the night before Thanksgiving, so come get drunk and have some fun with me. And those tickets are not on sale at nighthawkcinema.com. Again, at the Williamsburg location. And again, Nighthawk is spelled N. I-T-E-H-A-W-K. And next time on Adventures in Black Cinema, we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of Robert Townsend's comedy Hollywood Shuffle. Very excited to do that one. So until then, stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed. Bye. Oh, it's over. Great.